Welcome to FNI Performance Podcast, powered by SimTech Dealer Services, your source for everything FNI. Real talk, real experts, real results. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, FNI Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thanks for joining me on another episode of the FNI Performance Podcast, sponsored by SimTech Dealer Services. Today, I'm joined by two awesome guests, Mr. Sheldon D'Souza and Jordan Heron. Guys, thanks so much for taking the time to jam with me today. I know, Sheldon, this is round two for us, so this is going to be fun. But you guys, what I'd like to do to kick things off is get a couple origin stories from you. So everybody out there that's watching and listening has kind of an idea of how you got started in the industry and you know how you got up to the point where you are right now. Uh, Sheldon, I'll start with you. Um, how did you get started in the automotive industry? Yeah, uh, first of all, thanks for having me again. Uh, uh, so I spent a quite a bit of time in the customer service side of things in aviation uh, for about, uh, close to nine years. And then when I moved to Canada, again, I went back to aviation uh, for a bit uh, as an analyst. And, and then before that, uh, sorry, after that, moving to SimTech around uh, 2011. And I started my career with SimTech as an analyst to uh, now where, uh, to where I am in field operations. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of my journey into automotive. Uh, it's been about nine years, I would say, that I'm in automotive. Uh, so uh, at uh, at work, I think I'm called the honorary car guy. Uh, so I, I take that with pride. That's cool. Hey, uh, Jordan, for yourself, how did you get started into this crazy world we call the auto business? So actually, I was a self-employed Class B me mechanic. Uh, I was uh, an automotive uh, electrical expert. I guess you could say, and uh, and then I just started into selling cars and worked my way up through new car manager, used car manager, um, was in the office a little bit, and then worked for SimTech to be um, for the last eight years. Uh, I was started from the from the specialist pool and worked way up to district manager, uh, regional manager, senior regional manager, and that's where I am today. So it, it's in your blood. You got sucked yeah. into this. Yeah. You know. You know, I find a lot of people like kind of like they get into the industry almost completely by accident. Very seldomly have I run into somebody who goes like, yep, I grew up and as a seven-year-old boy or a girl, I just, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be in the automotive industry. We all kind of fell into this industry kind of one way or another. Hey guys, uh, the topic for today's conversation is F&I strategies. And with everything that's going on right now, I think every dealership out there has to kind of relook and rethink you know, some of those strategies. Uh, but the first thing I wanna do into, before we kind of get into strategies as far as execution, I wanna talk a little bit about the strategies behind hiring. Because I am just, I'm just sick and tired of hearing this, uh, I need warm bodies. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't understand as an industry where we come up with this, or if they have a pulse. If they have a pulse, they can come sell cars and be an F&I manager. And I just, I, 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 that drives me absolutely nuts. Um, but I know that the dealerships out there that do really well, they're the ones that are consistently hiring and developing talent. And I want to kind of get both you guys' thoughts and opinions of kind of what new talent is going to look like going into what's called this new norm, uh, because there will be a, a fair amount of individuals that will still want to engage on a virtual level, not necessarily just an in-dealership level, way more than it ever has been, been in the past. So I think the talent that we hire is going to have to change. Sheldon, what's your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, so it's definitely going to change. I think uh, with with the way business is going to be done in the future, uh, specifically, it's going to be a lot online, a lot of it done virtually or over the phone. So some of the uh, skills, I guess, that would be that would have been, you know, uh, not considered in the past are going to be very critical or important going forward. Uh, and one of them being, uh, you know, being comfortable uh, to, you know, online in an online transaction or a virtual setting. Uh, typically, we find that people would be more comfortable in that setting, but again, not everybody is. So how good are you at selling someone in a setting like you and I are right now? Um, how, how good are you at selling someone uh, in a, over the phone? So those skills are going to be important. forward. How good are you with technology? So as dealerships start implementing new technology in the stores uh, and refining their processes, uh, so adaptability is going to be important. So is the, you know, is the person you're hiring uh, adaptable to all these changes that are coming? So, so I'd say yeah, some of those to recap, I mean, adaptability, uh, tech savviness, comfort in front of uh, the camera, being able to sell in, uh, on a camera um, while being recorded in some cases, you know, as we will talk about later in the conversation. Uh, those skills are going to be important. And, and then, of course, you know, dealers will have to spend, uh, t- you know, time on developing uh, raw talent that you might get, uh, you know, whether they are fresh out of university or whatever the case may be. Um, but, yeah, that, that's how I see that the change will occur on the recruiting side of things. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of changes. I mean, I think back to the first dealership that I worked at. And um, let's just say the first dealership I worked at was exactly the stereotypical dealership that everybody thinks of. There was a culture there, a very well-defined culture, a culture of money. And, you know, we were a bunch of degenerates, right, that did absolutely stupid things, but it was all in the name of making money. I mean, I, and I grew up because that's kind of where I first started. Did you guys, have you guys ever, ever heard of a five-finger contract? Okay, I wonder if I, I've asked a few Canadians up here. Very few of them ever heard of five-finger contract. All right, I actually had a business manager, an F&I manager, actually show me this one time, what a five-finger contract was. He would take the contract in his hand and he'd fold over his fingers, and those fingers would actually be hiding a couple series of numbers. <laughs> and so he would put his hand on the desk like this, and it would, and he would, and we tell the customer, okay, just go ahead and sign there, there, and there. It's called a five finger contract, you know. But I look, I, and the reason I say this is because there's still a lot of people out there uh, that view our industry as like in that way. They, they, that's what they assume is going to happen when they walk into the dealership. And those days of selling, I think is actually gone. I don't think we sell anything anymore. No. What I think is we, what we do is we educate and we guide and we consult, which changes that type of person in a huge way. But you know, to your point, Sheldon, even more so now because it's virtual, Jordan, I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on you know, what is that new F&I manager is going to look like and how do we track them? Yeah, we've, uh, we've continued to battle with, I guess, dealers and, and the store overall always looking for that 20 year vet that's got all this F&I experience, right? And they're going to come in and they've got great numbers from the store they're working at and everything's great. The problem with those type of people or that, uh, that demographic of business manager is that they're just, they're very unapproachable, untrainable. They don't want to change. They don't want to be on video. They don't want to have the technology piece, right? So, so that's the thing we're looking for, say new talent, say um, actually people typically that we, we hire in sales 
right? So we want to transfer that person in that's got that bit of sales technique, but also is trainable. And then we can mold them into that person that we, we want them to be and then, uh, or need them to be really. And then we can, we can really develop their talent. So as long as they have that basic tech savvy, um, a single sales bone in their body, just so that they can, can relay the information. And then we can, we can develop the rest from there. Tech savvy. It's kind of a buzzword that we like to use, right? And I'm just trying to figure out, like, what, what does it mean to be kind of a tech savvy and, and be in kind of a, a sales type position or more of a consultant type position is really kind of what we're talking about. Right. And, and, and I think what it is, is it's our ability to connect with someone virtually, you know, mm -hmm. like and, and I find some people have that and some people don't. You know, like I personally, I have no problem, you know, uh, connect, connecting with people virtually. I actually do it all the time. In fact, I would, you know, some of the people I would call my friends are people that I've never actually physically met. Isn't that kind of crazy? <laughs> you know, but I, I'm almost kind of thinking that that's kind of a prereq though for who you're looking for. You're looking for someone who, you know, is comfortable enough to create that depth of a relationship without actually ever physically meeting that person. And, you know, I, I'm just trying to think in an interview, you know, that kind of changes everything. You know, it's like, what kind of questions are, are you asking? You know, I got a question for you guys. Do you think it's appropriate, you know, uh, to talk about a potential FNI's manager that you may be hiring and talk about their social efforts? What are you guys' thoughts on I that? I think actually it could become part of the hiring process is doing a video interview or oh, at like least that. one portion of it. Yeah. So, I mean, nowadays, I, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure you're similar to us right now. We're doing everything virtual. So we're on, you know, 10, 15 of these calls a day and it's, it's, you almost get videoed out almost at the end of the day, but, but you've just become so accustomed to it. So now when we're moving into this transition in the store, we're almost saying, okay, guys, just get comfortable with your business managers, make sure that they're comfortable being on video with you so that we can start a training process going forward until we can get back into the, the full swing of things. Yeah. And, and to add to what Jordan said, and, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, not a lot of salespeople nowadays are, I've seen, or even FNI managers uh, would be active on social media. I think one of the guests in the recent past as well, uh, you know, they all had YouTube channels or they were on Instagram or something. So they're comfortable in, in that environment uh, presenting, uh, you know, their dealers products and so on. And they have Again, you know, they may bring leads with them too as a result of that because of the, the followers they have on these different platforms. So that would be, yeah, you're right. There may be an, uh, you know, uh, a potential to look at that as a, uh, in your recruiting efforts. Look at, you know, their, uh, their comfort with social media uh, or, or what they're doing currently, actually. No, if I that's interest, the dealership that is, of course. Well, no, I, but I think it has to, right? I mean, it's like we're talking about someone who is willing to kind of put themselves out there. And, and yeah. I think it's kind of a prereq. And Jordan, I love the idea of, you know, uh, having a, um, a video interview or having someone send in kind of a, here, give me, here's one of the product or services that we sell. Can you just do kind of a video explanation of that and just kind of see how they do it? You know, it's, it, it's just kind of a prereq. Now, I know that's one of the hurdles that dealerships are facing right now. But I think there are other hurdles that they're also facing in, in the F&I side of the business. Any other hurdles that you feel you know, kind of top of mind uh, that we can identify and then kind of through our conversation today develop out strategies for? Sheldon, outside of just finding the right person, what other hurdles do you think you know, dealerships are facing when it comes to the F&I side of the business? 
Yeah, I think in general, you know, dealerships are going to have a lot of hurdles uh, for the next few months and, you know, maybe into the year. Uh, you know, there could be issues with inventory, there could be issues with financing customers. Uh, but I think when you look at uh, sales and F&I in general, uh, the, you know, social distancing might be here to stay, right, uh, in, in one way or another. And uh, uh, so customers are not as comfortable as in the past visiting public spaces. So that is going to be, a, you know, the old model was customers walking into the store physically, and that may not happen very much now. Uh, so that'll be a hurdle in trying to attract the, the customer, in, uh, whether it's through our online portal or within the store. Um, the other area I see as a hurdle would be uh, declining F&I sales. Uh, you know, we've seen in the last, uh, you know, month or so during the, you know, uh, stay-at-home orders, um, there were several car deals that did happen in an online fashion, uh, but there was no turnover. The customer wasn't even presented F&I products, whether it was through the portal or through the website or even through a virtual presentation. And uh, when when we were at Simtech looking at, you know, where's the opportunity to help dealers? And that struck us like, okay, you know, there was no F&I presentation uh, when we could have done so through a virtual F&I process. Um, and the other area I see there's going to be uh, increasing uh, hurdles for dealers is going to be online competition. Now, as we move more and more online, uh, you know, you, you could technically get a car delivered by a dealer somewhere who is, you know, hundreds of kilometers away from you. You don't have to purchase locally. So that is going to be uh, an interesting change as well. I think uh, uh, post, you know, post COVID and as we, as we go into recovery. I, I agree. I think that's that. There's there's a lot of things right there that are going to fundamentally change, and I think at the core of it, what it is is the customer that's pushing those changes. You know, it's like we, we're not identifying these changes, guys, just because you know we're industry experts and these are our thoughts and opinions. I think what you said there, Sheldon, is really at the core. Is that is what the customer expects. Yeah. Like that. That's who's really pushing for these changes. Jordan, some of yeah, your thoughts yeah. on uh, some of the hurdles that we're going to have to be facing, kind of moving forward. I think right now, uh, to begin with, dealers are struggling to see who to bring back. Um, you know, they've they've closed the store completely, laid off a bunch of people, and it's like, how many salespeople do I bring back? I have fourteen salespeople. You know, do I bring back ten? Do I bring back five? So, so a lot of those things, um, when do I open? What are the times? What are the hours like right now? So um, I have three business managers. Do I need all three? You know, all those kind of things right now is in the forefront. Um, we have some stores that aren't opening until next Monday. Um, you know, so, and then they're going to be a nine to five. So again, it's, you know, hours wise, what's the business manager job look like? Um, so, so those are the, some of the immediate hurdles. I do like the idea though, that, um, the comment there from Sheldon about uh, where they're going to come from, where customers are going to come from. Um, out West, it's very much more common that um, they sell, guys in, El in Edmonton sell a car from BC and so on and so forth. In Ontario, we don't see that too much, right? I might get the odd guy in, uh, from from Burlington or from Hamilton, even though there's five Chrysler stores in Hamilton, somebody will go to Burlington and buy one. But uh, but these guys are driving, you know, 600 kilometers, uh, you know, 2,000 kilometers to deliver a car in BC. Um, and they just, it's just a, a normal occurrence out there. Right. So, so I agree with that. And, and if you were ever in the car business, when we were first starting all these online things and auto trader and all these guys that were starting up, um, you know, I, I was in charge of the online leads, right. And this guy would be on at three in the morning. I would get in a lead and my job was to respond to that lead as fast as I possibly could. Well, 
three in the morning, I, I would actually respond to the guy because I don't really sleep all that much. I'm like, okay, boom, I'll, I'll respond to the guy. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and he sent it to eight stores. So, you know, that's going to be more of a, a, something to watch out for. And really, if you don't have a, some like a, an internet manager or a auto leads manager, like that's going to be a huge, huge opportunity for every store going forward as you know, not only just for videos, but also for these online leads that are going to come from all over the place at all hours of the night at whenever. Right. And it's going to be about who responds or who responds the best. That's actually really well said, Jordan. And I think, you know, for dealerships, it's, we have to find how we're going to be more productive with the people that we have. Uh, I think the customer has found ways to be more productive with their time. And now it's kind of up to us to find ways to be more productive with the people that we have um, so that we can kind of mimic the time expectation the customer has. I mean, for example, like what it requires four people to sell me a car. Like I got to talk with the, the internet person or the BDC person, and then I got to come in and I got to talk to a salesperson. And then that salesperson introduces me to the sales manager. And then, and then after I'm done with those two people, I, I move into an F and I, I mean, what, <laughs> like, you know, like, I just don't think it's necessary. And I look, I know people out there might disagree with me or not, but I think there needs to be kind of a consolidation of roles here. In fact, actually some of the, some I and I want to hear kind of your guys' thoughts and if you guys are seeing some of this right now, but I'm seeing people kind of consolidate some of these efforts. You know, like for example, let's talk about the F&I manager. The F&I manager and the sales manager is one of the same roles. Why? Because the sales manager usually gets involved in a deal early on, which is what the F&I manager needs to be doing in the first place. All right? The sales manager is usually the one in charge of negotiations and payment presentations which the F&I manager should be a part of because they want to create a holistic approach to the purchase, not have just the purchase of the car and then go purchase some products and services afterwards. Um, let's talk a little bit about kind of people strategies and kind of what your guys' thoughts are. I mean, hell, I know somebody right now that has uh, at their dealership, the salesperson is the salesperson and the service advisor to that customer which I actually thought was kind of cool. At first, I was kind of taken back by it a little bit. And I was like, hmm, I'm not sure. But then I thought about it from a customer's perspective. So I go into a dealership, I create this relationship. And then I continue to have the same relationship with the same person as I'm servicing my car. I mean, I know it's early on in them trying this out, but I, I foresee retentions rates being through the roof. Um, how do you guys, what are you guys kind of thought? Sheldon, I'll start with you, of the strategy with our people. Right. So I think the, the key thing you were saying earlier was customers have got used to a lot of things in the last uh, you know couple month or so now. Uh, I was listening to a podcast yesterday where someone was saying they were not, uh, you know, they've got accustomed to receiving grocery, ordering groceries online, you know, things like that. All these little changes are really going to uh, cause some behavioral changes, right? And uh, among customers and expectations are going to change. And to your point, dealerships will have to respond to that. Uh, and one of the areas would be, you know, how do you serve the customer or the guest when they come into the store? To your point, how many people do they meet? Is it really necessary? Every, everyone's going to have to look at their specific dealership and see where the opportunities are areas they can streamline things and, and make things a lot more efficient. And, uh, and potentially, you know, uh, combining that role could be one of those uh, uh, areas, you know, where you combine the sales manager, F&I manager role, or the salesperson, F&I manager role, 
uh, and make that into one. Uh, and but the again, you know, as I had mentioned, I think on my on our, in our last discussion, no matter what you implement, the the process is the key. So uh, I think you, one of the questions you asked in there was, you know, what are we seeing? So yeah, we are seeing a little bit of both. Uh, we have seen stores that have implemented uh, uh, a hybrid model, so to speak, uh, uh, and and stores that have tried but you know not succeeded. Uh, so again, and when when we look closer, oftentimes, did you what was the implementation like? Did you have right processes in place? What kind of training was provided? Uh, what kind of word tracks were developed? Things like that. You know, what was done to help the success of that process is going to be key. Uh, you know, change for the sake of change is never good. I think it's going to be important. Um, you know, to have a process surrounding that, uh, and this is what you know. We, we are looking at obviously and, uh, and, and working on. Oh, I know you guys do a great job of that, right? I mean, you guys acknowledge that the strategy behind people may change and therefore we better prepare our technology to also <laughs> be adaptable to those types of people. Um, so that, you know, if a sales manager does need to be an F&I manager or a salesperson needs to be an F&I manager, well, then the technology should be easy enough so that they can do that. Um, before we get into that, because I actually do want to talk a little bit more about the tech side of that. But Jordan, uh, for yourself, how do you see the strategy of people changing? Are you seeing any changes there out there right now? Or do you even have some ideas yourself? Yeah, I mean, we've seen some more interest in the hybrid model, which <clears throat> obviously is being, you know, looked at more south of the border. But but as it, those strategies kind of move their way up north, um, we've had some people try it and, and they fall because there is no um, or a lack of structure. Right. I mean, you know, if they don't have an actual idea of it or a plan, then, of course, it's going to fail. Or if they don't actually um, hold their people accountable to that plan, then it's obviously going to fail. So, you know, that's one of the things that we've we've really looked into is uh, we want to be a part of that structure and we can help keep that structure on course. So it it's definitely it's just something extra to tie in. Obviously, we need the dealer's, you know, um, commitment level to be the same. But um, but certainly, we've seen some strides, and and a lot of stores can really be successful at it. Also, now when you look at it, less less contact is going to be more contact, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, where, where the salesperson being that that one hat guy that's just going to turn it around and and start selling F and I products. But again, we looked at that a long time ago, and and it was you're not just going to make your store hybrid tomorrow. It needs to be something that you're changing your hiring process today to maybe do that in six months or a year, right? So you need to start hiring different people for that, for also the sales role and, and the F&I manager role. Well, I also think just kind of like from a profitability perspective, like we have to head that direction. Yeah. You know, I, I'm just thinking, you know, I was a sales manager and, you know, the, there were some cars that we have that had $500 in gross profit. So here I am trying to negotiate a deal and you and imagine the negotiations were getting pretty damn tight, you know, because I only have 500 bucks to play with here. Like there was not much I could do yeah. with that. Now, if I had a deal that I was working that had, you know, the extended warranty on it, a rust protection or a paint protection and, and uh, this and tint and this all that. And all of a sudden now I'm negotiating a deal with $3,200 in gross profit. All right. Like I got a little more room there, you know, and plus I know that I'm going to complete the transaction and there's not going to have to be a second round of that kind of negotiations back and forth. Um, I, I, you know, when I think of the kind of the traditional F&I process, which is kind of that pre-qualify, you know, educate them on the benefits or the value of the products and services and then offer them options, right? I think those are, we have to find a way to kind of do that 
virtually. And I'm a little concerned with some of the, when we think of virtual, because right now I think what it is, is to your point, Jordan, you kind of mentioned earlier is that, you know, we have Zoom, we have FaceTime, we have Skype. Okay. Oh, that's cool. I, I agree. And it's, it's good that we have to connect with people, you know, like this, you know, fast and face to face. But what I do know too, is that when we're just talking to someone, you know, only 10% of what we say is actually, they'll hold on to 48 hours after we're done saying it. So there has to be kind of this, this visual element that to support our virtual conversation. And I think this kind of goes into the tech side of what you guys are doing. Um, Sheldon, can you talk a little bit about the, the, the visual side of the virtual F&I process? So, uh, I mean, we were uh, proponents of uh, visual closes even before virtual F&I. So even if we look at our current training model, you know, that was uh, focused on uh, the F9 process within the store, <clears throat> it still had a lot of visuals built into the in, into the process. So with virtual F9 now, uh, the, the medium that it is, uh, visual closes become that much more important. You are no longer able to scribble something on a piece of paper and, you know, draw something out to the customer. Uh, now it's, it's just going to look very clunky when you're trying to use the, annotations within any any of video conferencing platforms you use, right? Or Adobe or whatever, whatever what have you. Uh, so it's gonna be important that your product uh, presentations are slick and, and uh, you know, uh, easy to understand, you know, not too complicated for the customer and explains the, the product clearly. Uh, so visual closes are going to be very, very important uh, in the virtual setting. And, and obviously uh, from our, uh, Simtex virtual FNI process, uh, that is a important piece of that. Hey, Jordan, for yourself, you've been in the dealership. Um, you know, you spent a lot of time in the, on the floor and operations, you know, um, your thoughts and opinions on kind of that visual presentation and, you know, what is required to execute a proper visual presentation? Yeah. So the big thing for us is when when we actually put, say, a, um, a menu on the screen, for example, having a menu is a great part of it, but it's not the only thing. I mean, we need to have a process to help a customer follow along. <clears throat> Obviously, the menu process shortens the time of things. We're not going to pull out a brochure and go through the 2,600 components of a warranty. So it, it kind of, you know, customers know what a warranty is. We don't need to go through the finer, finer details of it. Obviously, if there's questions, by all means, we'll, we'll go through them. But it kind of, it shortens that length of time, first of all, keeps it a little more engaging with the customer. And then by all means, if they have questions, we'll answer any question possible. But it, it also, it, it needs to have some flow to it. And that's part of why we, we created this, this virtual um, presentation was just because it, it allowed us to kind of uh, not really control, but really keep a flow of a presentation going. And it, it allows the customer to kind of follow along with you, whether it be on a phone or on a laptop or whatever you're using. Um, but it just kind of keeps them to follow along. And then also um, it, it allows us to be a little more versatile in, in switching that up and being uh, customizing it to their needs. Um, but I like what you, you, you keep mentioning that word presentation. And, you know, we, we often used to say selling skills, but it was actually now we're, we're talking presentation skills now because most of what we're doing is really just presenting the options to that customer. You know, obviously we'll help them at the end to kind of persuade them into making the right decision, but or get their, get themselves out of their own way, but uh, but really, it's it's a lot more presentation instead of selling skills. So it's, it's good. I like the. But we're guiding like the, them, you know. <laughs> yeah. like I, I, 
between the two of you guys, who uh, between all of us, does anybody like getting sold? No, nobody likes. That. <laughs> like nobody, nobody likes, likes that. that feel. Like it is the worst thing in the entire world, right? And if like from a dealership's perspective, it should be a goal that no one walks out of that dealership feeling like they got sold something, because right. they're not going to come back for service. They're not going to buy their next vehicle from you. They're not going to refer the four or five friends that, you know, a happy customer will typically do. Like, it is just a bad, bad idea. Okay, congratulations, you made $800 more on that on that transaction. But seriously, though, like, like we have to stop playing the short game and we got to play the long game. Mm -hmm. And to do that, we got to put the customer at the center of what we do and what we say. Um, I want to elaborate on something you said, Jordan, because I think there's a strategy in that. You mentioned flow. And I think every good flow, you know, there, there, there's a strategy behind the flow. Um, can, you, can you elaborate a little bit more on how you see, you know, the, the flow kind of going, you know, as far as a presentation? So one of the hurdles that we've seen in the past is, you know, you put a menu in front of someone and the first thing they do is they look down to the payment, right? And they look down at all the other payment options and they, they're starting to make their decision based on that or something that a salesperson has said before they came in, they're already getting preconceived notions of how am I going to say no to this person because he's going to offer me this, 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 and this. So, you know, we, we look at, at things like, um, you know, the pen move, the follow along, the arrows and the check boxes and stuff like that, just to kind of maintain the focus. In person, we can see body language, we can, you know, the, the crossed arms and the sitting back in the chair, all that kind of stuff. On video, it's going to be a lot tougher to That's do really that. That's a really good so, point. Yeah. So we want to do check boxes and arrows and stuff just to kind of make sure that they're following along with us and that we're not oh, sorry, losing Wait, them. real quick. I just want to identify. So the customer has to check it off no so as the as the business manager is falling through it they're checking mm -hmm. off or they they have an arrow beside what they're talking about so that it keeps going down the list and then it points to the payments and then we x we put a red x on the products that they're forfeiting and uh, and go through things or stars you know they, they no, that, I, that actually, part I, I want to think about that for a second because uh i actually like the idea of having the customer hit the check button box uh, okay. Something I did at my Mitsubishi dealership, uh, which um, Mitsubishi gave me a hard time for until they saw the numbers and they were like, okay, fine, do whatever you want, um, is that I, I turned, I, I got rid of all my desk. I, I Honestly, I hate desk. Like I truly hate desk, you know, just from a psychological perspective. It's like I sit on one side of the desk, you sit on the other side of the desk. We're in this proverbial game, game of poker and it's like, I got my cards, you got your cards. We're going to try to do something here. I got rid of all of them. I turned to round tables, which is not a new thing, right? It's very common in the States. Not so common, maybe up here, but it allowed me to actually sit side by side with them. But instead of me creating the payment on a computer, all right, well, we gave the customer the keyboard and the mouse, and the customer created the payment. And th we, this is what we found, and it wasn't wasn't the expectation, by the way, at all. But we actually had one of the highest profit per transaction, uh, you know, for the for the for the nation. And for the simple reason is we weren't the ones creating the payment. The customer was one creating the payment. So I, I'm curious, you know, I mean, how hard would it be just kind of turn that monitor, you know, or, you know, give them a remote desktop type access where they can kind of check off the boxes themselves? Because then really what they're saying is that, yes, I understand now I'm hitting the checkbox because I because I understand. What are your, would that be an easy yeah. thing to do, Jordan? Yeah, so Zoom does allow you to annotate somebody else's screen. 
um, it's definitely possible. And, and this will just come back to the typical, um, you know, customer mirroring and, and knowing your audience as to whether or not they're going to be comfortable with it or like it. But having said that though, yeah, sure. If, if the customer is all about it, by all means, you can put your star there instead of me doing it. I mean, it's, <laughs> that's great. No matter what, they're, they're picking something if that's the case. So. I apologize. I didn't mean to stop your flow there because you had a good flow. Continue your flow. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so the the, uh, the end result too is that once we create these custom options, it allows us to, just by using the annotation features in Zoom, it allows us to um, not have to switch off screens. So if you're sharing your screen and then you flip off and then you flip back on and then you flip off, it's just, it can be a little, um, a little bit irritating for the customer. Um, so there's there's some actual extra things that we're doing to kind of like adding a second screen as a as a uh, recommended tool um, certainly allows everybody um, who's actually using it as a presentation um, some seamless transitions to flip their screen over um, or continue to create a custom option on a screen over here that the customer doesn't know um, we're just we're just expediting the process so again uh, customers this is going to be new to them. And then having a 45 minute video call presentation, probably not going to be the, uh, the answer for a lot of them. So, so we want to make sure that it's concise, but again, like that's all back to process. And if, you know, the, we have to actually have a process process and, and execute it. So that's actually a really good point. I mean, like, I don't think anybody wants to sit down and do a 45 minute, you know, video chat, just about F and I, but that's also if we're pre-qualifying way in advance and we're having the conversations way in advance and the FNI presentation and the payment presentation is actually kind of one of the same, you know, then it's, it, it, it seems like it's okay to, you know, have a 30 minute, you know, payment slash FNI presentation. Um, Sheldon, would, is there anything you would like to kind of add to that, the strategy of the flow, you know, for a visual presentation? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I agree with a lot of what uh, Jordan said there. I mean, and that's basically part of our process. So, the, so you know, I think you mentioned earlier, uh, you keep the customer at the center of the transaction, right? So in our, in our role is essentially to shepherd them through the process, right? You're, you're taking them through the process, uh, you know, understanding uh, what they need, listen to what they have to say, you know, ask the right questions. And it's a it's basically a form of prescriptive uh, presentation, right? You you have all the questions, uh, how you know their driving habits, things like that, and you're you're presenting products that are relevant to them, that are that resonate with them, and 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 obviously that's going to drive success compared to, as Jordan said, putting a menu and you know in front of them, and or you know, whether it's four column, two column, whatever option you go with, uh, their their eyes are probably going to go all over the place and probably looking at payments primarily versus the product and what's, you know, what's behind it. Uh, so I think, yeah, to, to, to add to everything Jordan said, if we, if we look at our role as, as being uh, shepherding the customer through the customer journey, uh, you know, prescribing products based on their, um, um, on the, on the questions we've asked during the process, uh, during the interview, uh, then it's going to certainly have drive results and success. Because the customer now feels like I wasn't sold. I was presenting something that I that I was interested in that I will use uh, down the road. And you know what I've found with customers that don't feel like they got sold, they, they use words like "that was a good experience." You, you know right. what I mean? Like 
I love the word experience because it goes both ways. <laughs> like you can have a good experience and you can have a bad experience, you know, but I think the key uh, is of having a good experience is that they don't feel like they got sold. You know, I think with dealerships, you know, not only do we have to focus on kind of the right now, as far as the things that we need to change, but we also got to have some growth strategies. You know, I sp a lot of my time consulting with dealerships actually have to do more with growth strategies because I find, you know, dealing with the right now, meaning, you know, putting out the fires, they're pretty good at, you know, I find as an industry, we're actually very good firefighters. You know, something's happening. We'll run over to it. We'll kick the door down. We'll break a bunch of chairs and we will fix the problem right away, you know, but we're not quite thinking about. 90 days out or 180 days out or let alone two weeks maybe in some cases but we have to have that growth strategy i think growth strategies are going to change right now because i think we have to look at a growth strategy on our virtual presentations and then a growth strategy on our physical presentations i don't think it's going to be fair to actually clump these things together I think of it's kind of like you know when you're stepping up to the plate and you're going to swing you know there's kind of two different ballparks that we're kind of playing here. And I think it's time for dealerships to have a proper growth strategy for both identifying that there's, you know, different customers. Some customers are going to want to have more of a, a virtual or as much possible virtual type sales process. And other dealerships will, and other clients, sorry, other clients will still feel comfortable coming in, you know, and, and doing in the business that way. I. I know for a lot of people out there, they're talking about, you know, how the industry is going to go down and we're going to see a decline in business. And I don't know about you guys, but I fundamentally disagree with that. You know, I, I came off the recession and there was a there was a just a floodgate of opening up business. Anybody has been anybody's in market for a car right now or was in market for a car the last couple months, they're still in market for a car. They haven't they haven't disappeared. And you know, plus I don't hear anybody talking about, you know, here in Canada, the 15% of our entire population that relies on public transit to get around. I mean, I think a large percentage of those people are going to be in market for a car. So we, we, we have to have these growth strategies, a digital growth strategy and still a physical growth strategy. Let's talk a little bit on the digital growth strategy. And that kind of all starts with the website right? Like I'm finding, I'm finding dealerships right now are really looking at, you know, their website is not the glorified brochure of the past, which, which for the most part, I mean, that's how they treated their website was like a, just a digital brochure, you know, but they actually are seeing their website as a digital version of their dealership. So let's talk a little bit about strategy behind the website. As far as, you know, kind of moving forward, now we're kind of getting to the norm. What are you guys' kind of thoughts and ideas on how we can kind of change or things we should be doing to our website to make it more virtual friendly when it comes to both the sales and the F&I process? Sheldon, I'll start with you. Yeah, you, you made a good point there uh, when you mentioned about the, you know, the 15%, I think you said, of uh, the population that's using public transit. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity uh, in that sense, there'll be new customers that may not have previously considered a vehicle uh, are now going to uh, are now going to look into one. Uh, so there's definitely a lot of opportunity in that sense. Uh, now, going back to our uh, topic here in, in terms of the, the website. So you know, as we typically say, it's the virtual front door to your dealership, right? Uh, that's that's how, that's the first touch point essentially from the customer to the dealership in a way. Um, you know, even before they have made a call or any any other way, that would be the first place, you know, they would have interacted with you uh, in, in one way or the other. 
and especially when you consider, I think there was a Cox Automotive study last year that said uh, 61% of the shopping time was online, right? And yet there's a significant chunk of that buying process that is not done online. Uh, you know, I think of the respondents in that same survey, there were only about 5% that said that they were able to select an FNI product online. So I see that the changes that we are going to uh, see coming in, you know, from here on is obviously the push towards more digital retailing, uh, digital FNI, able to sell FNI products as part of your buying process, your car buying process. Uh, you're going to see a lot of that. That's going to be, a, you know, a strategy a lot of people will have to adopt, uh, you know, sooner than later. And especially, I mean, if there is ever going to be a second wave or if there is going to be another pandemic uh, in the future, you're prepared for any eventuality like that. So it's going to be important to adapt uh, a digital and a virtual strategy. Um, and, you know, even, even today, uh, I think earlier in the conversation, Jordan mentioned that, uh, you know, his commitment, he was at three o'clock responding to a lead. And that may become the norm. Like you will, uh, you know, you, this, is, this requires commitment. You, you will have to have someone uh, who is, you know, uh, looking at these leads all the time, because if you are not, somebody else is. Um, and, and so that's going to be important. Uh, having your uh, website up to date with the most current information is going to be important. You know, even during COVID, I noticed there were several websites that did not specify how they were doing business. Uh, you know, what is are the that not crazy, Sheldon? I mean, come on. Yeah, like, just, I saw some dealerships. We didn't even know if they were open or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even if you just did a Google search, it looked like they had normal operating hours and it wasn't the case. Uh, you know, they, they were not either not open or they were online. And the risk with not monitoring all that is you would have, because Google does allow customers or the users to uh, update information uh, for, you know, for a business, uh, it's possible that the customers will do it for you, right? So you want to be on top of that. You want to provide customers the most current information. What are you doing? What are the precautions you're taking? Uh, if you're doing test drives, how are you, uh, how are you doing them? What are the measures you're taking to, uh, you know, to sanitize the vehicle and so on? So I think the, the website, uh, dealership websites are going to be an important tool uh, in, in their um, sales growth strategies going forward. I, I would not be, you know, I'm not going to say yet that we are uh, completely there yet in terms of, you know, fully buying your vehicle online, you know, in an e-commerce uh, kind of way. Uh, but, uh, but, but we'll get there. I think we'll get there uh, sooner or later. But, you know, but we have to start working on it now. We have to look at both the digital strategy and the virtual strategy and see what applies to our market, to our customers and in our specific location and, and the areas we want to serve. You, you know, one of my first uh, manager type roles was uh, they made me an internet operations manager. And that's because at the time they didn't know what the hell to call me. <laughs> they just, they just, it, it, there was no name for it, right? And it was actually kind of cool. What it was, I was in charge of anything to do with the website, anything to do with digital marketing, and then they threw the entire BDC into my into my lap as well. And and that's because at the time the BDC was handling a lot of these things that we called form fills. 
<laughs> they were come they were coming into the dealership and you know for the longest time I, you know I don't know why we got away from that. I mean, I love the fact that I was called an internet operations manager because it's really what my job was. Is in that person that was online, I was in charge of the entire operations from when they got online to when they made the phone call to when they fill in the form to when they showed up, who they spoke to, and so on and so forth. And we, and, and for some odd reason, over the years, we've kind of separated out, you know, how we view clients. I mean, Come on, guys, let's face it. And Jordan, you know this too. How many dealerships out there kind of treat the internet lead as kind of being a third-class citizen? It's like, oh, God. Those like the cash inter- deal for FNI. <laughs> like, yeah, like, oh, God, those internet. Oh, yeah, 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 the cash deal. Okay, hey, I got a turnover for you. It's a, it's a cash deal. Oh, crap. Oh, God. What the hell am I going to do with this thing? You know, but it, it is. For, for the longest time, we kind of viewed as people coming into our dealership totally different from the people that were online and like they were just entirely different people i think the fundamental shift right now is everybody everybody is an internet customer now there's no difference between a physical customer and an internet customer everybody starts their journey online now more so than ever which that means we have to change our entire mind shift to how we approach the website i'd like to get your thoughts kind of on this jordan of how we kind of change our mindset of uh, what we do with our website. Yeah, so I, there's three things that I that I noticed specifically is that if you are are uh, shopping for a new car and you click on build a build and price, it takes you to that manufacturer's website, not no longer on you know the the actual dealership website. No, is that so, like the worst experience? You know, it's ever. like the easiest <laughs> thing for them to do is just oh, I'll just direct it to that site. Well, now they're gone, <laughs> and now you can locate the car at whatever dealership in the area. Um, so that, that's the, that's a main one, uh, two is having a, um, a, a having your FNI products even online because typically they don't list them at all. You know, we, we have, uh, videos, we have, uh, online brochures that you can put on there. Um, they have an FNI or a finance department, um, tab at the top of their internet uh, thing, but normally it, it only gives you the option to, um, create a credit application. That's actually a really <laughs> good point, Jordan. Like I'm, I'm yeah. thinking about that real hard right now. And in fact, I, would, I think I'm going to afterwards, I'm going to actually do a tally, but I, I have to admit, I bet you it's probably less than 10% of the dealerships that we work on on a regular basis even has, you know, the F&I product information on the website. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, and typically that's if they percentage. do, it, it might be one or two products, maybe, right? Yeah. You know, the, the big guys that they like to sell. So, so yeah, that's, that's a, that's a, a definite miss for sure. And then the lastly, um, not going to be as much of a problem right now uh, as things start to open up again. But but over the past few months, um, we should be able to come up with a strategy for a digital or a virtual test drive. Um, you know, I know that really the numbers have changed over the last years. It used to be you know 65 to 85 percent of customers m- m- needed a test drive. You know, the numbers have come down. It is what it is. Uh, I mean, if you're buying your fifth Corolla in a row, you really need to drive it. That's the that's the uh, the way things are now. Um, but having said that, though, you know your internet manager or your your person in charge of that, or even your salesperson, should be able to go and and just point out some things on video to a customer and either send the video or have each model online. Well, you know, to, to, to that point real quick, uh, Jordan, is that, you know, I, I know a lot of dealerships choose not to do that because they're like, none of my customers are going to do that. And you know what? That may be true. You know, you might have a very small percentage of your customers that will actually do it. But it's the fact that you offer it. 
Like, you know what I mean? Like even or if the someone doesn't, that you didn't get. well, exactly. It just it shows to the customer that you're offering this, which says a lot about you know uh, how much you care about them as a customer and how tech savvy you are. I, I keep I'm going to use that word a lot today. I like that word, um, <laughs> but, but but it does. It shows a lot. I apologize. I didn't mean to jump in there, but keep going. Uh, so the, I mean, we've done it with used cars, right? Right. I mean, we've gone to the point where now we're uploading videos of every used car on the lot. So, I mean, you know, that, that can be an easy transition into at least one from each model line on a new car, but to a customer in their customer experience level, I mean, how would it be when, when either I'm doing a turnover and a picture of their car pops up, you know, in the, in the downtime. So when I'm trying to finish off the paperwork or something, I put, and here's a picture of your brand new car. You can take that in, or, you know, when they're looking at, at purchasing this car, I just wanted to send you a brief video. I know you're struggling to make a decision. Here's a video of your, your potentially brand new car. Right. And, and what kind of an impact that brings to their experience when they're dealing with you virtually. I, I think that's there's some great approaches and like we got to take the time. This is what it is. I think this is why a lot of dealerships, you know, are. I guess they just don't invest into their website because it's not necessarily it's expensive. But it's time consuming. I mean, everything what we just talked about, Jordan, what and Sheldon, you two as well. Like the things that we talked about, these we're not talking about spending tens of thousands of dollars to execute, right? What we're talking about is time, right? Take the time to put the content about the F and I products on the website. You know, take the time to craft out a flow that you want the customer to take. You know, through your website. You know, and, and really try to just put your customer hat on and go into your website. Like, I'll give you one when it comes to a, kind of a website strategy that still blows my mind today. And actually, I, I I get pissed off at a lot of website providers for this. Is that we have not changed the information that we ask for from clients in 20 years, right? It's literally first name, last name, all right? Firstborn, blood type, and shoe size. That's the information you need to give me so that I can have a conversation with you. <laughs> Not really, but still, they, they, there's so much information that they ask in these forms, right? And the customer just wants to talk, but I also think it's kind of funny is that they ask for you know, two points of contact, which happens to be the oldest forms of contact. It's like phone calls. Like I, no one ever calls me, honestly. It's like, I, and if you do call me, I don't answer. I wait until it goes to voicemail. Then I triage the voicemail and decide if I'm going to be able to schedule a time to call this person back. Like, like nobody wants to talk on the phone anymore. All right. And when, if they do, we should at least give them the option and emails. I mean, come on. Since the time that we've been on this podcast, I have 72 emails in my inbox. Like, that's the way I want to talk. Like, everybody knows that if they want to get a hold of me, you DM me on LinkedIn. Because I'm going to be fast about that, right? Why can we not change? I think it's a strategy a lot of dealerships need to actually execute. Is, is in those forms, all right, ask the customer how they want to talk. You know, I bought my, uh, the last car I bought, I, I'm serious, 90% of the communication was done via text message. Like I, I did it over text. I was in between meetings on the road, you know, all that was there. I think we have to ask the customer and that creates a better experience. You know, if someone wants to chat with us over Instagram messenger or Facebook messenger, okay, cool. Just put your handle on there. We'll reach out to you. You know, um, that's one thing. And the other thing though, I think for a website strategy, I want to throw out there for, for uh, dealerships is when you're, when you want to do, you want a customer to fill out a form, give them reason to do so. 
Like I'm gonna use the word test drive for example. Every single dealership website out there has a button that says schedule a test drive. Schedule a test drive, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. But what's the value in doing so? Like there's none. It just literally, it opens up, says first name, last name, you know, blood type, shoe size, all that stuff. Date, uh, time, car you wanna do. Like it, it, it takes, right? it takes almost a minute to two just to fill out this form, but there's no value. Like what is the identified value? And the ironic thing is for a lot of customers, they fill out that test drive form, then they show up to the dealership and the salesperson goes, Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, hold on just a moment. I'm going to go dig the car out. It's three cars deep and I got a foot of snow on it. You know, it's like, like we have to create real value to the customer to want to fill out these forms. I think these are all great strategies, by the way, that people can execute. Like, you know, I mean, we have to put the information out there, Jordan, you know, we got to give value on why someone do that. And just overall, we have, as a dealership, we have to look at our digital property equally as important, or if not, in some cases, honestly, more important than the $12 million we spent on our physical property, because the digital one is the one they're engaging with first. Um, kind of yeah. staying on that digital, sorry, Sheldon, you want to add, add to that? No, I was just going to say, I mean, to add to what you said there, especially going forward, because, you know, what is your differentiator? So early on in the conversation, I mentioned about you know, you're now no longer competing with the three other dealerships in your in your you know geographic location. You're actually competing with anyone who can uh, you know uh, come up in the search results essentially. So so your your competition has just increased, especially if offering remote delivery and things like that. Uh, so you got your website has to uh, keep up with all of that. That's totally true. And and you know what, the website, we, we kind of hinted a little bit earlier, Sheldon, when we were talking about how like, I'm visiting a lot of dealerships websites, I'm sure you guys have too. And I'm looking at some of these dealerships websites, it's like nothing's changed. You know, like before this all happened, the website looks identical from them from from two months ago to now. And it's like, that doesn't work, right? The customer doesn't want to know that you have six months deferred payments and 0% for 84 months. What they want to know is they want to know your process. If I have to purchase a vehicle, what does that process look like? If I got to service my vehicle, what does that process look like? Educate me on the process before you hit me up with an offer. And it's like, we just, I don't know. We, we have to acknowledge at times a change and we have to change our website to give them that information right out of the gate. I mean, uh, Sheldon, yeah, we were talking about earlier, how many dealerships out there that weren't open, but you went to their website and it looked like they were. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Guys, I know it's getting towards the tail end of our time today and we're jamming well here. So I'm sure we could probably go on for a bit longer, <laughs> um, but I know we're going to have to cut this off. But before we do so, I get to ask my favorite question of the day. Okay. And this is the question here today is going to be, um, if there's one thing you can change about our industry, what is that and why? Sheldon, I'll start with you. Hmm. <laughs> It's a tough one. I guess the, the first one, I guess, since it's on topic is uh, let's let's look at our websites, right? Let's look at uh, how we are interacting with the customer and put them at the center of that, uh, at the center and, and build everything around it. Uh, especially as we, you know, start building for the for the future and the, and the next disruption that might come through, you know, in the next few months, years, whatever the case may be is uh, we have to start looking at collectively as an industry, you know, how do we look forward? Uh, what are the things we are going to change uh, for the future? Uh, and then I would say that that's where we need to start changing. 
um, which is start looking at the future, uh, start looking at how the customer is going to be interacting uh, with us in the you know going forward. As I mentioned, people uh, customers have got used to uh, shopping online in the last month or month and a half, two months. Uh, they are that they have adapted to a new way of doing things. And how are we going to adapt to that change? So so that is, you know that would be one area I would say as an investor we need to start looking at how are we going to do things differently. Great point. It is, we, we, you know what it is, is at the end of the day, we have to be proactive. Yep. Like I, I, we just, as an industry, just have to stop being so reactive and really take the time, sit down. And this is a great time to do so, to sit down, have these discussions, create these strategies. Jordan, for yourself, if there was one thing you could change about our industry, what would that be and why? Um, I mean, obviously I think that what Sheldon said there is, is great. Uh, continuous strategy is forefront. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, we can have a strategy from 10 years ago and, and it hasn't changed. I got to tell you for a lot of stores, hasn't changed from 10 years ago. Uh, so continuous strategy, I think would be more focused for me. Um, but se separate to that um, adaptability and just, you know, there's so many times, I mean, I prospect a lot and I, stores all across Western Canada. And, and you know, the, the amount of times that I get a phone call and say, no, you know what, we're good. We're at X dollars a car. Uh, you know, that's great, but what's your customer experience, right? And, and, you know, just the ability to even have a conversation sometimes because they just want to be so fast to click and hang up because, uh, because we're good in my perspective or in their perspective. So, so that I, just that adaptability and, and being able to have a conversation about some stuff, obviously I'm not going to stop there, but, but in certain areas, you know, it'd just be a little easier to have a conversation, break down some barriers. That's all. No, I'm with you on that, Jordan. I actually have a, a term for that. I call it full belly syndrome. Yeah. And it is literally, we spend a lot of time talking about what we have done, not what we could have accomplished if we just, you know, pushed a little harder, uh, which is, it's just something, you know, it's just, we're one of those industries that are okay at batting 250. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, Hey guys, thanks uh, so much for taking the time to jam with me. For everybody out there that's watching and listening and would love to connect with you two gentlemen, what is the best way to do so? Sheldon, I'll start with you. Yeah, so the best way to reach me would be uh, on LinkedIn. My contact information is up to date there. Or shoot me an email directly at sheldon.dsouza at simtech.ca. Awesome. Hey, uh, Jordan, for yourself, best way to connect with you, sir? Yeah, um... LinkedIn, of course, it's all, everything's up to date there. Um, email is jordan.hearn at simtech.ca. I have um, Instagram and Facebook and any possible form you can think of, except for Twitter. I'm not a Twitter guy. Everything else, though, I do have. Um, so you do Snapchat? I can look you up on Snapchat? Snapchat, absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got the locator on, too. You'll be able to see where I am. Okay. If anybody can find a TikTok of Jordan, please email it to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, thanks again for taking the time to uh, jam with me today. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. You guys thanks, have a good Jason. one. We'll see you. you too.